Hey, good morning, church family. Hope you're all doing well. I miss being with you in person today, but hope that you are encouraged in the Lord from wherever it is that you are watching this um, this morning or this weekend. If you're not familiar with our church family, my name is Taylor Burgess. I serve here at Cross Community as lead pastor, and we're in a really unique transition season right now. Um, this past week, we just received the certificate of occupancy for our permanent facility in Shell Point. Um, for nearly the entire seven-year history of our church family, we've been a portable church plant setting up and breaking down at different locations at different uh, every, every week. And uh, by God's grace, we now have our own facility and we're preparing to move into it. Um, beginning Sunday, June 18th, we'll start holding public worship gatherings right here. Um, I'm standing right outside the sanctuary doors of our new facility. Our staff it's been hard at work this week with a number of ministry team volunteers making sure that this place is ready to go for June 18th. Um, as we shared this past week, we were not gonna be able to meet at the YMCA today anyway as they have the gym floors refinished. And as our leadership got together, we just said, hey, it's best that we go ahead and have a, a clean closing at the YMCA, be finished up there, focus on moving here. Um, so we're using these couple of weeks of transition to make sure that we are ready to go for June 18th. So today and next Sunday, we're gonna record a video message. Um, we'll encourage you to maybe watch this and get together with your community groups to discuss it. Um, this is also a good opportunity for you to maybe even visit another local church and, and just encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, today, uh, June 4th, and then next Sunday, June the 11th, we'll provide a message for you online. And we really look forward to worshiping with you in person in this facility uh, beginning Sunday, June 18th. Well, several months ago, as our staff and several of our leaders sat down to, to really talk about what this transition season was going to look like, um, we, we started asking the question, how is it that we're going to retell the story of God's faithfulness to our congregation over the last several years? Because, you know, from this point on, anybody who comes to, to become a part of our church isn't really going to know what all these years were like of, of setting up and breaking down high school auditoriums and uh, gymnasiums and, and different portable locations they will only know that, hey, we've had our own permanent facility and, and, and that this, this is the place of worship where we get to come every single week. And, and so what we decided to do going into 2023 was that we wanted to have some very intentional pauses where we not only retold the story of God's faithfulness to us over the last several years, we retell that story by revisiting the texts of scripture that the Lord used during those seasons to carry us through. So several weeks ago, we looked at the Great Commission. We study Matthew 28, 16 through 20. We try to do this about every 18 months because that is the mission statement that Jesus gave to his church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So the mission statement for Cross Community very simply just says, preach the gospel and make disciples. It's on the front wall as soon as you walk into this building. It's the first thing that you'll see. Uh, unfortunately, the natural tendency of a church is to drift away from mission, not to the mission. So about every 18 months, we tried to pause and we uh, review the Great Commission and we tell the story of how the Lord has been faithful to us as a church. A few weeks ago, uh, I preached from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. That was the very first text that was ever preached for the first public worship gathering of Cross Community on January 22nd, 2017. And then we preached that text again whenever we celebrated Easter Sunday at the drive-in movie theater in April 2020 uh, because all of the facilities were shut down. And today what we're gonna do is very similar to what we've done over the last several weeks with the Great Commission um, and with Acts chapter three. And we're gonna look today at Psalm 103. 
Now, here's what's really, really funny about the fact that we're going to land on this particular passage today. Um, I planned all this out a while back, and we really had no idea at that point in time where we were going to be on Sunday, June 4th. Would we still be at the YMCA? Would we still, uh, would we be moved into the permanent facility by then? We really didn't know, but, but here I am preaching this message and sharing this message today in an empty hallway in an empty building. And that's funny because the very first time uh, I preached Psalm 103 was to an empty building. When you go back to March, 2020, um, as everything was really starting to ramp up with COVID in the middle of the month, we were not sure what our Sunday worship gatherings were gonna look like week to week. And so as, as we got into mid-March, we were still planning that week to have a full worship gathering at the YMC on a Sunday morning. And we got a call at like 10 o'clock the Saturday night before letting us know the YMCA is now off limits. But we pretty much had the building set up and ready to go. So that morning, I met Grayson Johnston, our worship pastor, and Leandra Livesey, who was overseeing our kids' ministry at the time, and a couple of others, I think, were there and, and showed up. And I, I preached Psalm 103 to a camera in an empty room. And, and here I am again, three years later, preaching Psalm 103 to a camera in a mostly empty building outside of people who were here getting things set up. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence because that was a season for us of crazy uncertainty. And, and the text of Psalm 103 calls us to look to our heavenly father and be simply reminded of who he is. The refrain that's repeated over and over and over again in Psalm 103 is bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. And I promise you that three years ago in the middle of all the COVID chaos, the first thing at the top of our minds and the tip of our tongue a lot of times was not to bless the Lord. It didn't feel like a blessing. And in the same way, this year, even having the blessing of this facility, the last few months have been very challenging and very unpredictable and very chaotic as we've just not known week to week what things are going to look like. And so here, once again, in a new season, we have the opportunity to start in a posture of worship and bless the Lord. So if you don't uh, have a Bible with you, I encourage you to, to go pick up a Bible, uh, turn on a Bible if you've got that on your phone, and look with me this morning at Psalm 103. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 and be reminded of who our Heavenly Father is. I, I remember my freshman year of college, when I was a student at Appalachian State up in Boone, North Carolina, there was a really popular book in a lot of Christian circles at that time by a guy named Donald Miller that was called Blue Like Jazz. And it was popular particularly among college students because uh, the story is a lot of the development of his own faith and his journey as, as a college student. And so it really resonated with college audiences. And one of the things that really stuck out to me about this book was Donald Miller's willingness to openly question why it is God would want to be known as father. Now, I'd never really contemplated this question before. You know, I was blessed growing up that I had a father who loved me and who cared for me and who pointed me to Jesus and who raised me in the faith. And so I had no problem whatsoever referring to God as father. I never had this issue. I never had to worry about this before. But then it was reading this book and then hearing the story of others that helped me realize that's not really the case with everyone. He asks in this book, why would God want to call himself father when so many fathers abandon their children? And it caused me to really wrestle with, with this question. Why is it that our father, our heavenly father, is so much different than earthly fathers? And that's the question that Psalm 103 answers for us 
today. The question isn't, is God a father? The question is, what kind of father is our God? The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is our church's primary doctrinal statement. And in the section on the doctrine of God, it tells us that God as father reigns with providential care over his universe, his creatures, and the flow of the stream of human history according to the purposes of his grace. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise. God is Father in truth to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude toward all men. Now, each distinct member of the Trinity, each distinct member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, plays their own unique role within the context of that relationship. We see of God the Father through Scripture that he authors the plan of history for all creation and humanity. That's Psalm 2. We see from John 5, 37, that he sent the Son into the world. We see that he is the Father of all of creation in one sense, but he is the Father of all who are in Christ in a unique sense. All people are called his offspring. That's Acts 17, 29. He is the father of Israel. That's Exodus 4, 22. He's the father of Christ. That's Matthew 5, or 3, 17. And he is the father of all who are in Christ. That's Ephesians 1 and Galatians 3. So how do we even begin to describe who this God is? How do we begin to describe the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and all-wise? We see through the Old Testament, he is Elohim, the plural name for God, meaning he is the strong one. He is Jehovah, Yahweh. He is the great I am. He is Adonai, meaning that he is the Lord. His word tells us that he's holy and he's just and he's loving and he's true. He's free and he's independent. He's infinite and eternal. He's immutable, meaning that he never changes. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent, meaning that he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, meaning that he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, meaning that he's everywhere. He is El Elyon, the Most High. He is El Olam, the Everlasting God. He is El Shaddai, the the Almighty God. He is Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord provides. He is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of hosts. He is Jehovah Makadashem, the Lord thy sanctifier. He is Jehovah Roy, the Lord my shepherd. He is Jehovah Tzikenu, the Lord our righteousness. He's Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. He is Yahweh Elohim Israel, the Lord God of Israel. Who is God the Father? As much as I would love to take all of that and preach a 30-point sermon, let's just look very briefly at Psalm 103 that tells us, helps us understand in human terms who God our Father is. So from Psalm 103, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. David writes, Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Who is God the Father? Well, we see first from verses one through five that he is holy and he is good. He's holy and he's good. David writes, bless his holy name. Now, what does it mean that God is holy? The easiest way to define holiness is to say that something that's holy is completely set apart from what is common. 
R.C. Sproul has written that God is holy because he is more set apart from his creation than anything or anyone else. Basically, God's holiness is a function of his transcendence. Because he is high and exalted, nothing in creation can match the Lord in his glory, power, and purity. So by saying that God is holy, what we're saying is that he is entirely other from all of creation. He's completely set apart from the rest of creation. Oftentimes this word holy comes across as cold and hard, not because of its definition, but because of its expression. You know, oftentimes when we hear the word holiness, unfortunately, what comes to our mind first is an idea of holier than thouness. You know, when we think of of holiness, we we unfortunately might think of of a stuck-up religious person who's always exalting their goodness and their righteousness and their perfection uh, above everybody else and kind of sees themselves as the standard. And and so we we sometimes shun holiness because we're afraid of drifting toward holier than thouness. And what happens is a transcendent word gets tarnished by condescending behavior. But scripture tells us clearly and plainly that God is holy. And that our response to this holy God is that we too should walk and live in holiness, that we should be made holy through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. If you ask the average person walking down the streets to come up with or or name the, the first attribute of God that comes to their mind when they think of God, the vast majority of the time, the way a person is gonna respond is by saying that God is love. And they're absolutely true. God's word tells us that that he is love. Scripture tells us that God is full of grace. What we'll see in this passage, that he's merciful. And yet all through scripture, there's only one attribute of God that gets the three times repetition. There's only one time in scripture that that, that God's, an attribute of God is given this threefold repetition. And this is important because in scripture, the number three emphasizes total divine perfection. And we're never told in scripture that God is love, love, love. We're never told that he is just, just, just. We're never told that he's grace, 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 or mercy, 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 or compassion, compassion, compassion. God is all of these things, but we're never told three times that he's all of these things. But we are told that he is holy, holy, holy. Our God is a holy God, and because he is holy, he's also good. David calls us, bless his holy name and forget not all his benefits. And what are his benefits? Listen to this list for a moment. Most importantly, he says, he forgives all your iniquity. He forgives all your sin. That's really good news, right? That's really, really good news. You could stop the list right there and it would be plenty. He forgives all your iniquity, but then he goes on. He, He continues to tell us the benefits that come from our father. He heals all your diseases. And so this is what's true for every believer in Jesus Christ. We will receive total spiritual and physical healing, sometimes glimpses of it in this life, but we will absolutely receive it in the life that's to come. He redeems your life from the pit. So he rescues us from condemnation. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, meaning that he makes us heirs to his divinity satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like eagles, like eagles. And it's for these reasons that David cries out, bless Yahweh, bless the Lord, bless the great I am, because these are his benefits. Our God, our Father is holy and he's good. 
And then David goes on to say this in verses six and seven, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. So God is not just holy and good. Second, David shows us that God is righteous and he is just. Now throughout scripture, God's righteousness and his justice very often go hand in hand with each other. Because all that God does is right, he's always in pursuit of what is just. While holiness revolves more around God's identity, his righteousness and his justice revolve more around his activity. This is an expression of his holiness. There's no question when we look at the actions of God throughout the Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament that our God is no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality to anybody, regardless of race, regardless of color, regardless of of ethnicity, regardless of country of origin, regardless of socioeconomic status. The Lord shows no partiality to anyone. And he's passionate about justice for both the spiritual and the physically poor. Verse seven, he, he says, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of God. He revealed his word to them. He preserved a law for them. If you study the, the book of Exodus and you, you're, you look at the accounts of, of the Exodus story, uh, what it shows us is that God's people were enslaved in the bondage of slavery in, in Egypt for, for hundreds of years. And, and their slavery wasn't physical or spiritual. It was physical and spiritual. One impacted the other. It was their, their physical oppression and their bondage that prevented true spiritual flourishing. So what does God do? He frees them. He physically frees them, and ultimately their physical freedom leads to spiritual flourishing because our God is not just concerned about righteousness or justice. He's concerned about righteousness and justice. Because he's holy and good, he is also concerned about being righteous and just. Verses eight through 12, David goes on to say, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That might be the best news in the whole Bible. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. So God, our father, David shows us in this one Psalm, he's holy and good, he's righteous and just. Third, he is merciful and he's gracious. Grace and mercy are really two sides of one coin. Grace tells us that we receive in Jesus a gift that we don't deserve. And mercy means that we don't receive the punishment that we do deserve. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That this is grace and mercy at work all at once. You know, friends, if you and I were to somehow quantify our sins, if we were to write them down on paper, organize them into books and stack them into shelves, every single one of us would have our own personal library of Congress. Because sin is not just the the evil deeds that we do. It's our thoughts. It's our motives. It's our desires. It's our intentions. It's our actions. It's everything that's out of step with who God calls us to be through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. The evidence against us is conclusive and overwhelming but we have a massive library of sin that surrounds us. And yet what does David tell us that God does with our sin? 
He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, that's the distance that he removes our sin from us. And if you do a deep investigation into the the height of the heavens above the earth and the distance between east and the west, the conclusion you'll come to is that that's really, really, really far. Now, the point that, that David is making here, that the point he's expressing is that this is an immeasurable distance. That's the point he's trying to get across. Like you really can't quantify exactly the distance between the earth and the heavens. You can't quantify exactly the difference, distance between the east and the west. That's the point David's making. He's trying to make a point that shows us he, that's how far away he puts it. It's, it's an immeasurable distance. But what if we tried to measure it? But what, what if we tried to measure it just so we could have some level of understanding of the point that it is that David is making here? Let me just read this, this one example to you here, just to help us quantify this. Uh, NASA launched Voyager 1 in 1977. In 1977, 35 years later, in the year 2012, it reached interstellar space. It took 35 years for Voyager 1 to reach interstellar space. It's traveling currently at 11 miles per second, which is 39,600 miles per hour. And this is the next great rendezvous for Voyager. Voyager's next great rendezvous is when it comes within 1.7 light years of the star AC793888, and that's going to happen in about 40,000 years. Traveling at a speed of 11 miles per second, 39,600 miles per hour. And yet here is David saying the distance between east and west, the distance from the earth to the heavens, that's the distance that God puts his sin away from you. I mean, so many of us, we, we just, we carry the burden of our sin. We, we live just beaten down by the guilt and the shame of our past, things that we did one year or 10 years or 20 years or 50 years ago. It feels like we still carry it so closely. It feels like we can't shed the weight. It feels like we can't shed the burden. And yet here is David saying, for those who belong to this father, for, for those who profess faith in his son, Jesus Christ, the distance he has placed between you and your sin is as great as the distance from the east and the west. It's an immeasurable distance. Friend, do not allow yourself to continue being burdened. Don't continue to let sin cling to you when God has separated it from here to interstellar space and even further, because that's the space that he puts between us and our sin. David says God's love for us is higher and he puts our sin away further than that. And why is this? Why is this? Because at the end of the day, our father is a father who loves his children and he cares for us. And this is how this passage closes out in Psalm 103, 13 and 14. David says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. So our God's holy and good. He's righteous and just. He's merciful and gracious. And fourth, David shows us that he is loving and he's kind. Now you read the rest of this chapter. He'll just continue repeating that refrain again and again and again. Bless the Lord in response to all of God's love. He's loving and kind. David says in verses 13 and 14 that he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. 
David can write this because he's, he's reflecting on the God who is creator. And, and, and the book of Genesis tells us that God created Adam, how? Out of the dust. It was out of the dust of the ground that the Lord God formed the man and then breathed life into his lungs. Your creator knows your composition. He knows what you're made of because he made you. You One of the greatest lies, bumper sticker lies, that's repeated in, in evangelical Christianity still today is that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. It's one of the greatest lies that continues to be perpetuated in the church today. And it's, it's a total misrepresentation of what scripture actually says. The Bible never says that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. The testimony of scripture is that God just doesn't give us more than he can handle. God doesn't tempt us beyond what we're, he always provides a way of escape from temptation. And so we can never blame God for our sin. We can never blame God for the way that we have fallen. He's given us his son, Jesus. He has given us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He's given us his word to guide us into truth. So we can't blame God when we fall. And we, we should never say that this, 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 Ill, this often repeated mantra that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. He always gives us more than we can handle. Otherwise, there was no point in Jesus coming. If God gave us everything, things that we could handle on our own, then what was the point of Jesus coming to this earth and having to live a perfect life and, and die a sinner's death in our place? The message of scripture isn't that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. It's just that he doesn't give us more than he can handle. Friend, he knows your frame. He remembers that you are dust. Your creator knows your composition because he created you. He knows what you can handle, and he's given us everything that we need to handle everything that we face. And he remembers these things. He remembers these things, and he takes great care to guide us in his strength. Our, our uh, youngest son, Lincoln, is six years old. And if you don't know Lincoln, uh, man, this kid is just a firecracker. And uh, he's, he's happy, he's funny, he is full of life and, and energy. And Emily and I often joke, and people ask us about Lincoln, we'll just say, listen, th- this is Lincoln in a nutshell. Lincoln thinks that life is a party, and, and rest, the rest of us are pretty much just living in it. And, and Lincoln's that type of personality and kid that, man, it's, it's not enough for him for something to be fun. He's, he's asking the question, not just, is this fun? He's asking, how can we make it more fun and maybe a little bit dangerous also? And so one of Lincoln's favorite activities with me is his dad is he, he likes to wrestle. And so almost every single night without fail, I, I've been home less than five, 10 minutes. And almost every single night without fa- fail, Lincoln will come running up to me and he'll say, dad, let's wrestle. Our boys and I, we, we love to watch like old wrestling videos on YouTube and then we'll recreate the moves like, like on the couch or on the floor or whatever. And, and so sometimes they will wrestle around upstairs and they've got a playroom and, and the carpet's pretty thick up there so we can wrestle around pretty hard. But the other day, Lincoln came running up to me while we were downstairs in our living room. He said, dad, let's wrestle. Now, the difference between our downstairs from our upstairs is that downstairs, it's hardwood floor, and then upstairs, it's carpet. And so, um, so we get off the couch. I'm like, we can wrestle, but we got to be a little bit careful here. And so, so I, I go down on the ground. As soon as I go down on the ground, Lincoln jumps off the couch and onto my back. And, and as uh, he's on my back, I kind of pull him up on my shoulder, and I stand up, and I'm, I'm spinning around. And I'm, I'm not very tall. I'm only about 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, you know, but Lincoln's a, a pretty small little guy. And, and while I'm holding him on my shoulder, he just goes, Dad, drop me on the ground. And, and, and as, as funny as that might sound, I'm, I'm going, no, like not going to do that. Like, and, and, and he's pretty tough and he's a pretty durable little guy, but, but here I am, you know, I'm, I'm almost six feet off the ground and he's pretty small and this is a hardwood floor. Now, if we were upstairs on the carpet, I could probably go down a little bit lower and then drop him, And, and you know, the, the floor would absorb a lot of that. But man, if I dropped him from my shoulder from that height, 
that's going to be a concussion. That's going to be a broken arm. That's going to be a dislocated shoulder. And that's going to be me being in a whole lot of trouble with Emily and us having some pretty expensive medical bills as well. And, and so, so as, as tough as I know that Lincoln is, as durable as I know that he is, at the end of the day, that's a six-year-old boy, and I'm his father, and I know his frame. I know what he can handle, and I know what he can't handle. And in that moment, I had to be careful to make sure I didn't do something to him that would have caused him harm. And David says of our father, he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He is never going to willfully do anything to inflict harm upon you as his child. The Lord, even in his discipline, even in his rebuke, even in his correction as a loving father, he always carries those things out in a way that is for our good and is for his ultimate glory. He loves us. He loves us. He knows what we're made of because he made us. He knows what we can handle and, and what we can't. And regardless of the situation we're facing, he's given us everything that we need for the moment. Namely, he's given us the indwelling power of his very own presence with us always to the end of the age. And Brennan Manning uh, asked what I think is a very defining question for our faith. He said, do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? This is the good news of the gospel from Romans 5, 8. The Apostle Paul writes that God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, that's when Jesus gave his life for us. He didn't just leave it to us to try to become righteous on our own. And then, hey, if you work hard enough for that, then I'll come die for you. No, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our rejection, in spite of our running from him, in spite of our wanting to indulge all of our own sinful, selfish desires, in spite of all of it, God lavishes his love upon us by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. The gift of grace that we did not deserve, and then the mercy of removing the wrath and condemnation that we did deserve. So what's our response to all of this? How do we respond to this God who is holy and good and righteous and just? How do we respond to this God who's gracious and merciful and loving and kind? Well, our response is to do what David calls us to do all throughout this Psalm. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. This is what's repeated over and over and over again in Psalm 103. And so maybe you've heard me say this several times through this message saying, Taylor, I hear you saying that I need to bless the Lord. But what does that actually mean? That's a great question. I've got a, at home, it's, it's called the ESV Global Study Bible. It's a great resource. And I'm just going to draw directly from this because I thought that this was a great definition. Blessing the Lord means to speak well of God for his abundant generosity. To bless the Lord means to speak well of God for his abundant generosity. This really came to life for me about 14, 15 years ago when I was watching my own dad uh, walk through cancer. 
And, and man, I, I had just seen my dad suffer here for two, three years. You know, growing up in church, my, my dad wasn't necessarily like very expressive person during worship. He would sing, he sang in the choir every single week, but I couldn't remember an instance of my dad actually lifting up his hands in singing. But the first time I remember watching my dad lift his hands to sing was the first Sunday that he got to return to church after missing several Sundays following a major operation at his cancer diagnosis. I'd never seen it before. And in my mind, it really didn't make a whole lot of, of sense. It felt like his life had been going immensely better just a few months before, but I'd never seen him lifting his hands. And, and now it seems like life has gotten immensely worse and suddenly he is. And so I actually just asked him about it later. I was like, dad, I've, I've never actually seen you lift your hands in worship before. What caused you to, worship, to, to lift your hands in, in worship today? And he said, because Taylor, regardless of what happens to me, I'm gonna live. He's like, either God is gonna heal me of this cancer in this life, or he's gonna completely heal me of cancer in the next. And he said, how can I not give God praise? How can I not lift my hands and thank the Lord for all of his benefits? And this is what David calls us to do. Forget not his benefits. Don't forget who he is and don't forget what he does for us. And regardless of the moment, regardless of the season, my encouragement for you today from wherever you are is to bless the Lord. Speak well of God and his abundant generosity. And what an appropriate response for our church family even today. And so church, that's my challenge for us today. Today, let's bless the Lord for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's bless the Lord for calling us to faith and repentance and turning from our sins. Let's bless the Lord for the promise of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's bless the Lord that he's given us his word so that we can know who he is and we can walk in the righteousness and holiness that he calls us to walk in. Let's bless the Lord for this beautiful community of people, this body of believers that's known as the church and for the fellowship and the encouragement and the accountability that that offers us. Let's bless the Lord for this incredible facility. But what a gift that God has given us to continue driving forward the ministry that he's entrusted to us here in Buford. And let's bless the Lord for inviting us to join him on this mission of preaching the gospel and making disciples. So whether you're watching this as, or maybe not watching, hopefully just listening if you're driving, but if you're sitting at home watching this or you're laying in bed and it's Sunday morning and you're watching this, you're sitting with your community group watching this, I hope at the end of this video, what you'll do is you'll take a moment to lift your voice and to bless the Lord and to thank the Lord and to ascribe to the Lord the, the, the glory that's absolutely due his name and his name alone. If you don't hear anything else that I have to say today, I hope that you'll just say this. Our God's not a deadbeat dad. We should not have to question why he wants to be called father. Maybe you didn't have a great father. Maybe father makes you think of abuse. Maybe father makes you think of anger. Maybe father makes you think of abandonment. When you think of our heavenly father, remember a father who is loving and who is kind, who is merciful, who is gracious, who is holy and who is good, who knows your frame and who remembers that you are dust. He will never take advantage of you or cause you harm. As far as heaven is above the earth, that's the measure of his love for you. And as far as the east is from the west, that's what he does with your sin. He's a good father and it brings him great pleasure to call you his son or to call you his daughter. And so my encouragement for you today, friend, is to simply bless the Lord. So Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for sending us your son, Jesus. Thank you for remembering that we're dust 
for remembering that we can't do this on our own and for giving us everything that we need to faithfully follow you and to walk with you. So Lord, we bless your holy name today. We bless you for the salvation that you've offered us through your son, Jesus. We bless you for the body of believers known as the church. We bless you for this facility that you've entrusted to our congregation. And we bless you for inviting us to join you on this mission. Help us to be faithful to it and help our love for the watching world to reflect the faithful love that's been shown to us by the heavenly father. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for for joining in to watch um, today, and I hope you'll have good discussion with your community group. Stay tuned throughout the course this week because there's a lot of information that's becoming this week about our first services on June 18th and a few other things popping up. Uh, Make sure you keep watching our Facebook pages, our Instagram pages. We're sending out emails. We'll be sending out some mass texts as well. At the end of the day, if you have any questions about what's happening transition-wise, don't hesitate to reach out to our staff. Uh, Give us a call, shoot us a message, and we'll be glad to help you out with whatever information that you need. And as you go today, I encourage you to go in the spirit of blessing the Lord and of giving him the glory that's due his name uh, for how he continued to carry us, not just in 2017, not just in 2020, but also carrying us today. We love you. We miss you. And we'll touch base again soon here. Take care.